Hello, welcome to Roots of Reality Experiences. Today I'm joined by Dr. Alexander Golub, who teaches environmental risk at American University and is a consultant for the Environmental Defense Fund and the United Nations Environment Program. Dr. Golub is a leading scholar in climate policy analysis, energy economics, and the economics of climate change, and conducts research projects in Germany, Russia, and Kazakhstan. His research focuses on the risks and opportunities of emerging global climate policy and transformations of the global capital markets. Lastly, Dr. Golub has also served on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and has published over 100 peer-reviewed books and papers. So Dr. Golub, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for inviting. So just starting off, how did you first get interested in climate change policy and economics? Uh, well, I was born in, in, in Soviet Union and uh, it was, well, you know, it's, uh, at that time it was uh, quite a socialist country and it was very difficult to get uh, uh, good education and economics. So what my professors did, they were teaching me mathematical economics. And then it was uh, quite natural to uh, switch from mathematical economics to economic modeling and then, uh, uh, then uh, environmental economics looks like a quite interesting field because uh, in Soviet Union quality of air and water wasn't so great. Uh, then uh, climate change, it was uh, kind of a revelation, something big and uh, important. And uh, I can uh, work on that because uh, when I start working on climate change back in Soviet Union, uh, not many people was uh, working in that field. So and then it happened quite naturally. And uh, I never regret that. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So you really, I guess, um... It was a new thing when you first got interested in climate change. Um, not many people probably had heard of it around the world or were thinking about it besides academics, I guess, for the most part. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. And uh, we were uh, quite uh, uh, challenged to uh, explain uh, how it's happening, why it is important. And uh, I uh, had a chance to work with uh, very good climatologists and uh, later when I was uh, in the United States I met uh, several people who was uh, like on top on that uh, profession and uh, I had no doubts about climate science and sometimes people would ask me do you believe in climate change I would say no I don't believe in climate change I know that you yeah. don't need to believe in right <laughs> uh, you have uh, solid proofs and uh, well still yeah, I wouldn't say that everything is clear. Like there are a lot of uncertainties. Uh, what is certain that climate change is real, that we contribute lion's share of uh, to this climate change, and uh, it could be it could be slightly better than we anticipate, but it could be much worse. That's kind of degree of uncertainties. Right and now, now we can finally we can say that we can afford to do a very drastic uh, reduction in uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, thanks to technologies and uh, our knowledge and uh, transformation of economy in general. Yeah. So what 
So, yeah, I mean, obviously technology has, has changed a lot over the time and throughout your career in terms of ways we can combat climate change. Uh, what would you say are the, are the major economic challenges right now for trying to combat climate change? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, a major challenge is uh, how you navigate rebalancing of uh, about one third of uh, total investment pool to direct that not only to uh, new technologies like uh, wind, solar, and uh, electric cars, and so on, hydrogen production, but it would be uh, affecting entire economy. So yeah. you're really uh, thinking about a completely different approach to investment. And uh, I concerned that uh, investment banks are not ready to this challenge because, um, well, you really need to uh, look forward. There is no historical data that support your uh, decision. You really need to yeah. see a future picture of the world and uh, you need to use uh, quite sophisticated uh, analytics. Uh, you need to analyze risks, uncertainties, potential return, and so on. So then second important challenge is, of course, for uh, carbon-dependent countries. So they need to uh, realize that on the long run, they cannot uh, continue forever to uh, prey on resource rent. Uh, it will be uh, time when you don't have this uh, source of revenue, and it's much better to uh, start earlier. But it, yeah. I think it's second uh, challenge. First challenge is uh, even if now um, alternative technologies are competitive, still you need to move this capital. You need to figure out what to do with uh, uh, accumulated uh, carbon-intensive capital, how to decommission that with uh, least uh, possible losses. You'll have some losses, so nothing is uh, free, but... Uh, right. You know, need to minimize it. And uh, the third challenge, how to uh, protect uh, tropical and boreal forest, because uh, now boreal forest may be in better shape, but tropical forest, uh, we continue facing this deforestation yeah. uh, problem. And um, uh, un un unfortunately, this is still uh, still big concern for everyone. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like there, there's many different levels to this, um, you know, trying to first off have the right technology and knowing which technology to invest in and then having the funding for that technology. And then I guess getting governments around the world on board to, you know, agree to combat climate change together and use different technology and countries that are obviously, I guess, oil dependent nations that may make a lot of money off their oil, you know, how do you transition them? Um, so it seems like there's so many factors at play. What do you think is the best method of getting all these different countries on board to combat something as big of an issue as climate change? Well, I think uh, there are several uh, elements of this strategy. First of all, we need to explain that the world is changing and get them at least on board with trying to understand that challenge. Then, of course, we need to understand uh, what limitations different countries and different corporations have. 
but be absolutely clear that uh, this resistance should not be a barrier to introduce uh, climate policy. Uh, well, price on carbon is essential because even if many alternative technologies are competitive now, still you have accumulated capital in uh, carbon intensive uh, sectors and uh, carbon intensive technologies. And the uh, value of this capital can uh, go down to zero. Uh, shareholders may lose uh, uh, value and, uh, but, but uh, power plant or steel mill will be still an operation as long as operation costs are lower than uh, revenues. Right. And uh, the only way to kind of accelerate decommissioning of those uh, uh, funds is to introduce carbon price. Could be emission trading, could be carbon tax, and it shouldn't be like uh, astronomically high. Like right. To begin with $50, $60 per ton of CO2, uh, it will do. Why we need to accelerate that? Because time uh, does matter. And um, with uh, all that advances, with uh, disruptive technological innovations and the uh, willingness of uh, uh, young uh, business folks uh, who uh, have in mind uh, socially responsible behavior and uh, so on, uh, it, it, critical mass is uh, gonna be accumulated uh, enough to uh, tip the scale. But right. if you do that, 10 or 15 years later, then uh, it will be more carbon in atmosphere. And uh, uh, we may be, uh, we will be increasing risk of some uh, irreversible and potentially catastrophic events. So sooner is later. And again, it would be uh, short-term and mid-term cost, but uh, in the end of the day, climate policy may be an engine to uh, propel economy uh, forward and uh, yeah. on the long run to uh, be in a much better situations than it would be otherwise. Yeah, well, I think that's the interesting point about all this is because throughout human history, it's always been about creating new technologies and advancing societies and creating new industries and climate change could be something that does, as you said, propel us forward into this new era of new technologies. Um, and I guess it's just the matter of, of trying to find a way to limit the influence of, of big corporations that have made lots of money off of fossil fuels. Um, and how do you get governments to you know, get control of the situation so we can help move forward in the right direction? Because I guess it's always been a historical problem where older industries don't want to go away. They want to continue to supply so they can make money um, and trying to find that balance. So I guess one interesting aspect of this is to understand what would be the economic cost of not doing anything to combat climate change? Oh, well, that's uh, uh, also quite a difficult question to answer because uh... You may calculate the economic cost like a few percentage points of uh, GDP, but uh, if if 
doing nothing will uh, slow down economic development. And on contrary, if accumulation of uh, rebalancing of capital, accumulation of human capital, knowledge-based economy, which is not carbon intensive, uh, will uh, propel you to uh, higher steady state mm -hmm. trajectory of economic growth. So then I think it could be, well, like uh, take, for example, a country like uh, Russia or Kazakhstan, uh, if the challenges, if they are gonna be uh, upper middle income countries forever, for next uh, five, six, seven decades, or maybe in 50 years they will join uh, club of uh, uh, high income nations. So how to assess the difference? And I think uh, for carbon dependent countries with uh, some kind of uh, good uh, opportunities to accumulate human capital and adopt new technologies and so on, I think it's a, it's a real challenge. Uh, and for okay. United States, so what are we gonna do? Are we gonna be uh, pretty much uh, trying to save um, energy intensive industry or we will accumulate capital and uh, do something uh, completely different like uh, uh, deploying of uh, wind and solar energy then uh, uh, when you do that, you have uh, on average uh, surplus of electricity. So then you can deploy 3D printers, robots, yeah. and uh, and then it it, it, it will be a very significant increase in productivity. So it's 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 very difficult to uh, measure um, cost right. of inactions in terms of climate change. It would be percentage of GDP, maybe up to 10% of GDP on the long yeah. run, uh, if you do nothing and uh, face catastrophic event. But in terms of uh, development or lost opportunities, we should talk about lost opportunities. And we need yeah. to think about completely uh, different uh, future of right. the world. I mean, I imagine if, if nations didn't do anything, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be like an, an immediate catastrophe where the whole world's collapsing or anything like that but over time things would start to become harder and harder i assume because there'd be lots of countries that would be suffering from you know mass migration due to basically living in territories that are are very hard to live in and you have um you know whole economies i guess falling apart in different places around the world which i guess could affect neighboring countries um that are a little better off i, I guess there's it's kind of like a domino effect where so many things can fall um, once you knock over one of those dominoes. So I guess then it's it's kind of a question of is society able to work together enough uh, to take advantage of this, you know, good reason to develop new technologies and move forward or wait until fossil fuels run out and um, the climate is is quite a bit different than today as, as well as uh, making it much harder probably in the long run for human societies to function as they once did? Uh, well, it's all about uh, perception. And uh, uh, when Kyoto Protocol was uh, adopted, mm -hmm. and it was clear that the United States not going to ratify that, Australia not going to ratify that, but 
yeah. some other countries was quite um, determined to do something about climate change. And it sparked a lot of uh, investment in research and development. And uh, I like one study was 10 years ago, OECD published, let's look at uh, patent and uh, know how, how much, how many was claimed and so on in uh, sectors, in areas related to uh, decarbonization of uh, production and consumption. And then this potential was accumulated and more and more. And at some point, uh, even if there is no public policy, then uh, pressure of uh, new technologies and know-how would and th th that's what we are witnessing now, because uh, without this accumulation of R&D and know-how, we wouldn't be able to build uh, electric cars, just yeah. to talk about seriously about hydrogen economy and so on. And uh, uh, so it, it, it's, it's going to happen anyway. The question yeah. is, if it's going to happen uh, sooner or later, if it's going to happen later, then we'll have all that... Uh, all bouquet of uh, damages from climate change and you uh, you're yeah. talking about migration and I don't know if uh, nations can handle migration look at what's going on in Europe is migrants uh, yeah. here in the United States uh, so what 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 are you gonna do when uh, people in need of help would be uh, migrating not like in tens of thousands, but in millions. So what, what are you going to do? How you can help them? Yeah. No, I think it's much better to uh, help them to live where they live. And uh, for that reason, uh, we need to accelerate and uh, reasonable price on carbon wouldn't hurt the economy. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point you made because, you know, you're, you're talking about how embracing these new technologies is something that society is going to have to do eventually because obviously fossil fuels are limited. Um, so it's, it's whether, as you said, whether we want to embrace it now and be ahead of the game or wait until things become chaos and then be forced to embrace it, I guess. Um, and so that, that makes me think, you know, obviously in countries like Russia where their situation is, you know, uh, their country is very dependent on oil, for example. That's a major, major aspect of their economy. Um, you know, how do you motivate oil nations to look into adopting new technologies or trying to diversify their economy? Because I, because I imagine in the case of countries like Russia and some of the Middle Eastern countries, that eventually there could be some major economic problems there, whether fossil fuels run out or people just move on towards uh, greener technologies, which limit the demand for oil? Well, uh, it's, yeah, definitely it's a great question. And uh, I uh, had a chance to work uh, as a consultant to the World Bank uh, to do this study on uh, carbon dependent nations. Yeah. And also I'm, uh, working as a researcher with a Russian research institution, trying to mm -hmm. uh, help them to come up with a strategy in Russia, Russia, for example, they definitely have a alternative. For example, if you produce a lot of wind energy and Russia has uh, enormous potential for wind energy and yeah. then turns it into uh, hydrogen or some 
products uh, like uh, in, increase electricity uh, consumption and substitute uh, like uh, clean uh, metal production, clean, clean steel production, aluminum and uh, fertilizers. Uh, you, you can do that and then still have uh, quite uh, quite decent uh, share on uh, the global market but not uh, yeah. trading oil and gas trading something else because still uh, as i said quite uh, significant uh, natural conditions to deploy wind energy maybe solar energy to some extent uh, problem is of course uh, russian government they trying to solve uh, tactical uh, problems. And uh, I, I don't want to go mm -hmm. uh, deeply into uh, sure. commenting uh, contemporary uh, politics. Right. And, right. Uh, uh, right, there are other priorities, uh, essentially. <laughs> yes, ab absolutely. But yeah. uh, looking, I don't know, five years from now, they definitely need to look at uh, the way how to get back together with world uh, international community. It mm -hmm. will mean that they will have to introduce climate policy domestically. And by the way, if you introduce a modest carbon tax in Russia and uh, start substituting to begin with uh, natural gas for coal, you may improve uh, air quality and avoid, I don't know, like 30 to 50,000 of premature deaths from air pollution uh, every year. So yeah. that's uh, significant. Russia has uh, uh, aging population and uh, experienced depopulation. And uh, it's, uh, um, it's, it, it's a big challenge for Russia. But of course, if you try to solve uh, some kind of tactical issues, you don't see that uh, big picture. So then... Uh, but, but of course, uh, education, communication, explanation of uh, risks, and uh, that's, that's, that's what uh, I can do people like me uh, right. on our capacities. But uh, there are other instruments like uh, European Union now is really uh, talking about border adjustment uh, policy, and it's something that Russia is concerned about. And Russia and Kazakhstan, I talked to uh folks from both countries actually uh nothing impresses them more than uh, threat of this uh, border adjustment policy so mm, if okay. if you uh, combine uh carrots and sticks and uh, but also you always need to uh, uh show to a country or the corporation way out of that like uh, it's not necessarily uh, oil companies should drill oil forever. They could do something uh, different and uh, I don't know, uh, use drilling capacity to, uh, 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 to uh, drill uh, uh, wells for um, um, heat pumps, for example. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, I'm not right. special in that kind of technology. Right. But, uh, uh, you, you can diversify even uh, within corporation and that's uh, shareholders they need to be worried about if let's say i let's let, let's say i invest into exxon mobil 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I know about climate change, but still, like, kind of uh, seems like a good investment and so on. Uh, I need to be concerned about what this company is doing. And uh, if uh, concerned shareholders 20 years ago would be pushing uh, ExxonMobil to kind of uh, support climate deniers and so on, uh, again, that's, uh, maybe it's true, maybe not, but. Uh, Mm-hmm. Was rumors about the uh, right. uh, role of this company, just to be careful yeah. <laughs> on the records. Uh, well, right now, like concern uh, shareholder, uh, I would say, okay, so let's uh, try to navigate the uh, uh, least painful sunset of uh, this line of business and let's develop another line of business. Right. Uh, uh, sure platforms definitely can uh, turn into uh, offshore uh, wind power production and yeah then sure least controversy you don't use uh, land uh, uh, there is no risk of uh, birds be killed by uh, um, wind turbines and so on so why, why not and the uh, united states also has uh, very large potential to deploy uh, wind power and uh, yeah. offshore would be the best uh, best way to do that. Yeah, so the potential is there for, I guess, a lot of different countries to change their economies uh, to prepare for a, like a new future uh, without fossil fuels. Um, and it sounds like yeah, Russia has plenty of opportunity there, and all sorts of other countries, I'm sure, have other opportunities too. It just takes people to have the they just need to have the initiative, I suppose to move in that direction. Um, and I guess a lot of countries right now are just, I think, thinking about the problem, but are not really committed to the problem yet, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, obviously you're dealing with with this, this field all the time with your work and your research. What would you say is the biggest misunderstanding about combating climate change? Oh, well, two uh, layers uh, level of misunderstanding. Uh, on one hand, as I said before, new technologies are competitive. And uh, well, it's definitely if you have no uh, kind of uh, restrictions or legacy of accumulated capital, and you could deploy them. Yeah. And uh, uh, so then some folks would say, okay, well, technologies are there, we don't need to do much, and we will rely on SRI uh, and uh, ESG and uh, kind of uh, moral motivations to invest into that. Mm-hmm. And um, well, it is a mistake. Okay. Why? Because you still have near-term and mid-term cost. Mm-hmm. And th- you will recover those costs on the long run. But if your uh, time horizon is uh, three years, you will be talking about cost of transition. If your time horizon is 50 years, you will talk about benefits. Or even 20 mm-hmm. years, you will talk about benefits. So then uh, another uh, folks would say, ah, oh, well, still cost, can we afford transition? And, uh, and like, 
to find consensus. Uh, that's, I think, uh, most important uh, part, just to reconcile those two positions. Right. So, so then it sounds like if I understand you that basically people underestimate how complicated the transition period is from what we're using now as an energy resource to a greener energy resources, people underestimate, they think that you could just flip a switch, I guess, and then change the economies. Is that what's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, uh, that's one group of people. And another group of people, uh, they overestimate those costs of transition and don't see uh, future benefits. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. That's when we, we, we try to uh, convince both uh, of them that uh, you're both right, but at the same time. <laughs> right. So you're in the middle, basically, just being pulled left and right, trying to help people navigate and find the balance there of the issue, I guess. Yeah, because you cannot uh, just uh, swipe on the covered uh, issues with uh, transitions, real issues, and you need to solve them. But at the same time, uh, you cannot ignore benefits of transition and uh, you cannot ignore uh, cost of delay. That's Yeah, sure. That, that makes total sense. Um, so, you know, from your perspective as an expert in this field, do you feel optimistic about the future with dealing with climate change or are you pessimistic about the future when it comes to dealing with climate change? What are your thoughts based on what's happening today in the world? Oh, well, I think uh, what is going on in Europe uh, makes me optimistic. Okay. Uh, in the United States, well, climate change legislation, this is big, important, and it should be adopted on bipartisan basis. Right. And uh, it's at the moment, it's difficult to see a foundation for bipartisan solution. But who knows? Maybe things will move faster. And uh, um, but we need a bipartisan decision, and we need a price on carbon. Yeah. Because uh, what uh, Biden administration is doing is good and is important, and uh, it moves us in the right direction. But again, uh, it will take much longer. You yeah. need to mobilize all possible resources and you need to mobilize private resources. And as I said before, it's about one third of uh, estimated by International Energy Agency, one, uh, about one third of uh, uh, total investment pool should be eventually uh, Reprogram. It's not new investment, but it's uh, you take investment from one place and uh, invest them differently. And uh, uh, price on carbon and uh, uh, introduced on bipartisan solution, just to be sure that uh, uh, somebody else uh, come to power and will not uh, reverse that. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that, that's uh, that's important. And for uh, Wall Street, uh, they better start building capacity as soon as it's possible to uh, handle analytics required for that uh, transition. Right. Now, obviously, the United States is, is one of the major uh, sort of polluters in the world when it comes to like, you know, greenhouse gases and stuff. Um, 
Now, what about China? Obviously, China plays a big role in this too. What is China doing in terms of climate change right now? Uh, well, China announced a zero carbon target by 2060, which is good. So it's inspirational, but you know, it's still a socialist economy and mm -hmm. we don't know uh, what may happen. And uh, if it is, if it would be only about uh, transformation of uh, power generation, for example, yeah, I would say that uh, socialist system is playing can handle that. But if it is uh, uh, transition of uh, actually touching entire uh, economy and all aspects of our life, I would rather prefer uh, private incentives. Okay. And um, China may come up with, uh, and I think they committed to uh, do emission trading, so it's price on carbon, so it's again, it's positive, but uh, it's not so uh, clear what is uh, gonna happen in China. Mm -hmm. So then I would count on uh, climate policy leaders that would include European Union, United States, Japan, Australia, Canada, rest, uh, OECD countries, they will take a lead. There will be some uh, uh, diffusion of technologies and uh, there will be more uh, countries that would uh, join this coalition. And then uh, if somebody wouldn't join that, border adjustment policy, and that's, that's kind of a process. I mean, if you talk about international arena. Yeah, I guess just like with the technology, the, the potential for policy is there in terms of doing the right things for climate change. But again, it's, it's make, make sure everyone's on the same page. And you have countries, obviously, that have lots of different interests globally that they're thinking about. And whether we can all get them to focus on one issue is always a challenge. Um, you know, given how long you've been in this field, do you feel ever frustrated with with sort of the lack of movement towards you know trying to solve climate change problems? Because I imagine that after a while you could be like, you know, we could have done these things like twenty years ago. Uh, why haven't we made more progress? Um, oh, well, that's a excellent question. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. At the same time, on one hand, I was looking at the lack of uh, progress in terms of policy. Yeah. At the same time, I was looking at uh, amazing progress in accumulation of know-how and uh, like readiness to. Uh, yeah. Move. Well, of course, uh, of course, I'm concerned that uh, we are late to start uh, massive transition to. Low carbon technologies, and we are accumulating too much carbon emissions. And uh, and again, it's a it's a gamble because we don't know exactly uh, what is climate, uh, how uh, high is climate sensitivity, and uh, yeah. how much uh, increase in temperature we're gonna have. And also, we don't know how much uh, volatility in temperature we will have because right. even if let's say you in California, uh, it's not gonna happen, but if on average, it's gonna be uh, more moisture in California, it doesn't matter if uh, you have uh, three sequential years of droughts and then uh, three sequential years of uh, flooding, doesn't work that way. So you need right. 
uh, moisture rainfall uh, evenly distributed. So right. then, I mean, even if you don't, even if we avoid some kind of catastrophic events, this uh, volatility of weather events that uh, is something that would uh, challenge economy and society for quite a while. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, and, and so thinking about, you know, the average citizen that hears about uh, their governments talking about climate change and debating the issues, it seems like people are either very, very afraid of climate change or they're very skeptical. Given your perspective and your background and all the knowledge that you have in this field, what would be your message to people that are, are, are very afraid of climate change and those that are skeptical of it? Uh, well, uh, people who are very afraid of climate change. Uh, well, that's uh, probably most uh, challenging because uh, you'd like uh, drastic measures and then um, you may discredit all that uh, transition. You yeah. say that uh, you need to... Uh, uh, forget about cars and uh, only use bicycle. Well, it's it's not practical and it's right. not possible. Right. And even uh, it is uh, dangerous because now we're in a situation that we must continue with uh, technological progress and technological innovations and uh, rebalancing of capital. So we need to continue economic growth. We cannot like some people would say, let's slow down economic growth. No, we are in a situation, if we slow economic growth, then we end up with uh, coal and uh, natural gas and oil. We need to accelerate economic growth and uh, leapfrog from uh, oil and coal and gas to wind, solar and hydrogen and uh, electric cars. And uh, that, that's, that's what... Uh, uh, what I would, well, again, um, it may be difficult to uh, right. communicate that um, sure, sure. Uh, to uh, people who are really concerned about climate change. And they are right. They see that and they, yeah. they worry about it. Like uh, COVID. Some people are really concerned about COVID. And I yes. remember when it was the uh, first... Uh, uh, first uh, pieces of information and uh, I was uh, acting very precautionary yeah we sure. surfaces and so on and it was uh, overkill of course as we learn later but uh, uh, when uh, uh, it's all started it seems like well maybe we're not doing enough but there are some people who really don't believe in climate change first of all we need to move that from uh, that rhetoric believe or not believe so we need right. to uh, just uh, move discussion more into uh, uh, the field of fact evidence uh, quantitative analysis what is difficult for people to uh, understand um, uh, randomness and understand uncertainty yeah say, oh well Maybe nothing gonna happen, or maybe something gonna happen. Just try to give them an example. Like, uh, yeah, you have uh, insurance. Uh, like, uh, you hope that uh, you never have uh, fire in house yeah. or car accident, but you're still buying insurance. Why are you doing that? Well, because it may happen, and if it's happened, then. Uh, 
uh, you will be in trouble. Yeah. So <laughs> Helps you. So then try to find kind of uh, arguments uh, when you uh, detect uh, some of behavior of people who denies climate change or don't worry about climate change too much and say, okay, so, but there are some other events that really may happen, may not happen, uh, but you still take care of that. Sure. And um, uh, and, and general education, I mean, in terms of risk management, people need to understand risk and uh, avoid uh, unreasonable risk, take risk when uh, it's really necessary. So that's, that's, that's kind of a uh, discussion. And then we'll have much more progress with uh, climate change, with COVID, with uh, traffic accidents. And, uh, well, that's, that's kind of uh, not. What, what else can we do? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so now thinking about your current research, what are you currently working on right now? Oh, a few things. Uh, one uh, project with uh, Environmental Defense Fund. And uh, we are trying to uh, come up with a mechanism how to uh, direct uh, resources to uh, protect tropical forests, how to use market-based instruments. And uh, we uh, have uh, quite, uh, quite a lot of success, but uh, it's still going slow. I need to increase, uh, increase uh, interventions uh, 10 times, maybe even more, just to, uh, because we have to protect tropical forest. If we're gonna continue to lose that with uh, in, in the same paces, then it's not only we lose forest, but it also may have uh, quite uh, significant uh, positive feedback in terms of uh, temperature increase and mm, so on. Okay. There are several reasons to protect forest. And uh, I work uh, with uh, Environmental Defense Fund for that, uh, yeah. uh, that project. And I, I work uh, with uh, Russian researchers uh, trying to come up with a uh, um, strategy how to develop on um, uh, how to convert this country to uh, zero carbon trajectory and using uh, wind energy and uh, how to substitute um, substitute losses of uh, export of fossil fuel and uh, uh, just uh, produce more hydrogen or something else. Um, and uh, again, uh, trying to talk to them about uh, investment risks yeah. and so on, uh, political, well, it's, it's difficult to... Sure. Because uh, uh, some issues are very sensitive for them. Of course, yeah. And uh, um, I... Uh, I, I, yeah, that's uh, another one. Uh, also, I'm working on uh, new methodology how to um, assess um, wealth of nations uh, with regard to changing uh, changing attitude to fossil fuels and so on, and as well as. Uh, uh, um, uh, corporate valuation so how you yeah. because you know uh, uh, some uh, companies will uh, lose a lot 
and some companies will increase market share. So how to detect them? It's not a trivial issue. And it's a, a kind of, a, for me, a research priority. Unfortunately, there's not much um, resources to do that kind of analysis because uh, still uh, uh, investment banks, they are quite happy with ESG and SRI um, and this, uh, they not considering uh, decarbonization as a uh, business that uh, will generate uh, profit, even mm -hmm. uh, even uh, when uh, technology is uh, viable and competitive. So, but I think it's gonna come soon. Yeah. Okay. And when you and say e a few other things, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, and when you say ESG and SRI. Uh, what what exactly do those stand for for people listening? Uh, it's a uh, uh, socially responsible investment and uh, ESG. It's uh, environmental governance, sustainability. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> always uh, confused with. Uh... Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> but, but, I understand. But, but, but basically, meaning is that uh, you uh, your uh, environment investment or, uh, driven by uh, social motivation not uh, by profit motivation okay yeah and uh, like uh, ESG also means that like if you uh, use child labor then it's not ethical and uh, then right. you would, uh, uh, would try to avoid um, uh, these, uh, these corporations and so on and it makes a lot of sense uh, but again it's not enough yeah, no, I mean, and, I understand. Yeah, because uh, something really you only uh, can uh, quantify, uh, or not quantify, only uh, do on uh, kind of uh, quality, uh, qu qualitative indicators like uh, use child labor or not. But something like carbon, you know what is social cost of carbon? It this definitely a proxy for uh, shadow price, whatever policy will be eventually in place. So you don't need to use uh, kind of indirect indicators. You better use a direct indicator and you better start uh, lobbying politicians just to forget about all that uh, um, contradictions and come up with uh, simple and straightforward uh, regulation that introduce carbon price. Right. Emission trading or carbon tax, uh, at the moment it uh, doesn't matter. Like uh, uh, 15 years ago, I would say definitely you should go with uh, cap and trade now, I say. Even carbon tax would do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, shows times change, yeah. Yeah. Um, perfect. Um, let's see, bef before we finish up, what would you say is the best way for people to keep track of your work and your research? Uh, well, I'm not that uh, present in uh, uh, public... Uh, Social media <laughs> and stuff, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, ResearchGate, that's kind okay, of... Okay, ResearchGate, uh, yeah. Very, oh, actually... Oh, I, oh, I need to use that opportunity. Just uh, yesterday was accepted one paper about uh, granularity of uh, how to use, how to better use data on global data on uh, uh, air pollution to, ah, to okay. mortality. And it's 
kind of uh, so it's very simple, but it's interesting. Like uh, big data. Now you have access to practically you can get yeah. uh, any kind of information. And then uh, the question is how to use it, how to interpret that. And this uh, paper is about this. Perfect. So something new already for people to check out. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. oh, well, it will appear on the uh, research gate maybe in a couple of weeks because it was accepted. Yeah, right. Takes some time. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for inviting. And uh, uh, I enjoy questions you're asking. Uh, and uh, some of them I will think more about that because <laughs> yeah. really uh, it's good to have a feedback because I may think that I know what to tell to people, but uh, actually maybe it's not so interesting and people like to know something else. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, the, that's always the challenge, right? It's trying to figure yeah. out you know, what the average person is going to take from, you know, giving these talks on very complex subjects. And, but uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I think you did a good job of sort of giving a, a big picture look at what's going on and what can be done. And um, so, and, and thank you for all the research that you do because societies around the world are going to need it to figure out how to solve this problem. So. Oh, but thank you because our research would, worth nothing uh, unless uh, uh, you and your colleagues will uh, explain that to broader <laughs> audience and maybe those broader audience will explain that to broader public. That's uh, it's a process. So what, 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 right. is your, what, what is your audience uh, for whom you're doing your uh, yes. podcasts? Yeah, so my my audience is, is pretty much from all over the place. Um, it's a it's a fairly international group of people, um, and uh, it's you know it's it's kind of just a wide variety of people from different political spectrums, different religious backgrounds, different countries. I try to give a, a global perspective so that as many people you know can find it relevant and interesting to their lives, and um, then I also try to bring on guests from that have this global perspective to offer as well. Uh, and try to just help people learn more about the world and what's going on. So, oh, thank you so much for inviting me and uh, introducing me to your audience. It seems like it's uh, global and uh, very uh, comprehensive representation of our society. That's a pleasure for me to be able to to talk to your audience with your Absolutely. help. <laughs> Absolutely, well, I, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs>